Open our Bibles, please, to the book of Psalm, the 28th. The 28th Psalm. And they're short. The 28th is only nine verses. And the uh, 29th is 11 verses. That would make a total of 20 verses if we cover both of these Psalms tonight in our lesson. And we'll try to do that. So you pray for us as we try to begin with this 28th Psalm. If you look in verse 1, it says, Unto thee will I cry, O Lord, my rock. Be not silent to me, lest if thou be silent to me, I become like them that go down into the pit. Now we find here that uh, David is praying earnestly to the Lord, and he directs his prayer unto the Lord. Sometimes we do not direct our prayer as we ought to. And certainly he did direct his prayer unto the Lord. You know, Isaiah 45 verse 22 says, Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Sometimes we let other things get in our uh, viewpoint, in our sight, instead of God himself. In uh, the book of Isaiah chapter 31 verse 1, it says this, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help, and stay on horses and trust in chariots, because they are many, and in horsemen, because they are very strong. Now listen. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. So it's directing our prayer. They look not unto the Holy One of Israel. Prayer needs to be uh, directed to God. Unto thee will I cry, O Lord. Unto thee will I cry, O Lord. And so we need to have a definite object in view, and that object is God Himself. We must trust in Him and direct our prayer unto Him. And then if you'll notice, it says, O Lord, my rock. There must be a a great deal of confidence in the stability of the Lord. He's like a rock. He is a rock unto us. Isaiah 17, verse 10 says, Because thou hast forgotten the God of thy salvation, and hast not been mindful of the rock of thy strength. Therefore, Shalt thou plant pleasant plants, and shalt set it up with strange slips. In other words, and it goes on to continue about some other things. But they had forgotten the God of their salvation, and they were not mindful of the rock of, of, it says, the rock of thy strength. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4 says, And they did all eat the same spiritual, uh, did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock, that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Referring back to Israel of old. Somebody says, well, is Jesus found in the Old Testament? He was found there, as Paul referred to him in the wilderness journeys of the children of Israel, and said they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them or went with them, and that rock was Christ. You say, well, the, the rock there in the desert was smitten, but it represented Christ. And, and His power, that rock being smitten there, was only symbolical of the real divine presence and the real refreshment that they received. We need to study our Bibles more, don't we? And understand where, uh, what the Scripture's all about. Have you ever heard people say, well, I don't study the Old Testament, I just study the New? Well, if you study the New, I'll guarantee you study the Old. There's no way you can study the new without studying the old and know anything about it. Because Paul says in Romans, I believe it's chapter 15, verse 4, that whatsoever things were written aforetime, and that's before the New Testament, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, and he was referring completely and totally to the Old Testament, patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So the Old Testament gives us hope, and we need to study it. 
And the psalmist said unto thee, Will I cry? O Lord, my rock, be not silent to me, lest if thou be silent to me, I become like them that go down to the pit. Our weakness must be realized. Without God, we would be no different from the unsaved. Jesus said, Without me, you can do nothing. So he cried to God and he says, I don't want to end up sinking down into the pit. And that's exactly what would happen to us if we didn't have the Lord. Now look at verse 2. It says, Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry unto thee, when I lift up my hands toward thy holy oracle, stretching forth or out the hands in prayer toward the temple, toward thy holy oracle. And it says, Hear the voice of my supplication. You know, prayer has a voice in itself. Prayer moves God. That moves God must be in dead earnest. It must be real, genuine, a heartfelt, and from our hearts. We don't have to pray like someone else or with the voices of angels or whatever we might uh, fancy to be a real acceptable presence with God, but we pray from our heart and God hears that. Remember, Hannah prayed and old Eli accused of her accused her of being drunk and it says she prayed, but only her lips moved. And she was praying out of the sincere earnestness of her heart. And God gave her a prayer, answer to her prayer, didn't he? Gave her Samuel. She was praying for a son. And Samuel means ask, A-S-K-E-D, of God. So God answered her prayer. And uh, so it, it, it's the heart matter. With the voice, it says, uh, hear the voice of my supplication. Not just the outward voice, but the voice of my supplications. With the voice, we can plead and cry. The Bible says in Romans 10, verse 21, God says, All day long have I uh, stretched, out, stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. So God looks to us and asks us to return to Him. But we look to God and ask Him to hear our cry. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry. When I lift up my hands toward Thy holy oracle. Draw me not away with the workers, uh, with the wicked, and with the workers of iniquity, which speak peace to their neighbors, but mischief is in their hearts. These great temptations of being drawn away with the wicked can be avoided through prayer. Sometimes we feel like the wicked's getting a hold, and when you do, it's, it, he says, "Draw me not away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity, which speak peace to their neighbors. They're very uh, sly, aren't they? But mischief is in their hearts." Some people are tempted to, to uh, fall for the wicked in their counsel and their uh, temptations and their pleadings. And prayer will, and through prayer, uh, great temptations can be avoided. And we need to realize, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says, There is no temptation taking you but such as come to man. But God will with every temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear. So temptations come to men, but we need our feet on the solid ground, don't we? We need to, to uh, trust in God and keep our prayer uh, life going toward God and trusting in God in all things. Now I want you to know something else in verses 4 and 5. Look at verse 4 and 5. It says, Give them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors. Give them after the work of their hands. Render to them their desert. Before we read uh, verse 5, let's think of that for a moment. He says, Give them according to their deeds. God does reward according to people's deeds, doesn't He? And according to the wicked of wickedness of their endeavors. Their endeavors. This is what they really 
desire to do is to continue in wickedness. Give, give them after the work of their hands. Render to them their desert. You know, the Bible tells us that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And when, the, when David was praying that God would reward the, the wicked for their wickedness, he was only saying, God, keep your word. You said that whatever a man sows, that he's going to reap. Let them reap what they've sown. Someone says, that's hard. No, it's not. Because God's plan and word is in that direction. And you know, it wouldn't be a bad thing for all of us to desire that men uh, fulfill that which God has said of men. That whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. But then if that would teach us to sow the right things, wouldn't it? They that soweth to the flesh, he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit. You see, you're still reaping. Reap everlasting life. So the good things come and the blessings come also as a uh, matter, matter of sowing and reaping. And so we can have blessings of God if we sow the right thing. But we can also have uh, chastisements if we sow the wrong way. And the wicked shall certainly reap what they have sown. I'm always, when I think of reaping what they've sown... Not only uh, David is an example of a Christian that reaped what he had sown, and the sword never departed from his house, but I think of one of the kings before that, you know, he had the habit of cutting off the great thumbs and toes of certain one, Adonazek, I believe was his name, back in the book of Kings, that said it happened to him too. For the same thing that he had done to other men, they cut off his thumbs and his toes, the great toes, his big toes, because that's what he had done to others. And I just think, well, it happened to him just exactly what he was doing. And you go through the Bible and you'll find a lot of things are just exactly the same thing happens to certain individuals that they cause to happen to other people. Well, you see, God is, is still in control of things, isn't he? Someone said, oh, that'll never happen. I can do this to certain people. And, and you just better look out because God knows what you've done, whether it be good or bad. And uh, if we don't do right, we're going to have to suffer the consequences. Every man is responsible to God for his actions. If we could get people today for, to realize in our society that you have to be responsible for what you do. You have to be responsible. And what, however you act in this life, and whatever you sow, and however you act as a Christian, however you act as, even if you're not a Christian, it's going to come back. And it'll come back to haunt many people. That's why we need to be very careful about our Christian life because it is an important and serious thing to live a Christian life. Some people say, oh, I'll just live any way I want to. And, you know, God's not going to, he's not going to do anything about it because he's let me get by with a lot so far. Like in Ecclesiastes, it says, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. You ever heard people say, well, if, if this is wrong, God can just strike me down or strike me dead. I don't want to say that. I might be wrong too many times. I say, Lord, if I'm doing wrong, show me what's right, because I sure don't want that kind of a thing to happen. I'd like to live to correct it, wouldn't you? Confess our sins, and He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, we find here in verse 4 that the wicked can be halted through prayer. Remember, Paul refers to one, he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. But he said, the Lord reward him according to his works. Paul said, I'm not going to worry about it. God's going to reward him according to his works. 
the wicked do not see the hand of God in providence. But God's hand is working all the while. In verse 5 it says, Because they regard not the works of the Lord. They don't see God's hand working in providence. Nor the operation of His hands. They don't understand that what happens in this life, that God is still in control of it. Look at that. They regard not the works of the Lord, nor the operation of His hands. We have uh, some new photos of uh, the moon and outer space, uh, some of the planets by the new telescopes they sent up. You know, it just come on the news yesterday and today about all the wonderful looks and says it's going to give us an insight as to how this world began. <laughs> I got a better insight than that. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Hebrews 11 1 says, By faith we understand what the scientists and the, and the different theories of creation, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that the things which are seen were, are, were not made of things which do appear, that God created it all out of nothing. If you had something, that something had to come from somewhere. You see, they claim that the world was created out of something. But the Bible says it's created out of nothing. If you already had something, it had to have a creation, regardless if it's just a little ball of dust or clay or whatever, and it exploded and became sun, moon, and stars, which I couldn't believe in a million years or a billion years. You think that could happen? That is the most outrageous thing I ever heard of, to think that just some little speck could explode and here goes the sun up here and the moon over here and the stars up there and galaxy after galaxy and the earth comes down here. People start living on it and we all have a human body and we have all these different kind of animals and man with his intelligence and knowledge and able to study and articulate and read and, and learn and discover and it just happened. It takes a lot more for me to accept anything like that than it does to have faith and believe God's Word. It's not near as hard for me to believe God. I believe God's Word says it tells us how it happened, that He is powerful, and He made it all. It says, They regard not the works of the Lord. Now look at this. Nor the operation of His hands. They don't realize He's in control. He shall destroy them and not build them up. They don't see the hand of God in providence. Now look at verses 6 and 7. I should say 6 through 8. We'll read this and then we'll come back and talk about it. 6 through 8. Blessed be the Lord because He hath heard the voice of my supplication. Supplications. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in Him and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoiceth and with my song will I praise Him. The Lord is their strength and He is the saving strength of His anointed. Now, I want you to notice this. It says, Blessed be the Lord because He hath heard the voice of my supplication. Praise should follow answered prayer. He's just been talking about prayer. Remember in verse 1, Unto thee will I cry. Verse 2, Hear the voice of my supplications. And now verse 6 says, Blessed be the Lord because He hath heard the voice of my supplications. Sometimes we forget that because God has answered prayer, we should be thankful. Praise. And blessings should follow answered prayer. And sometimes we fail to, to uh, bless God for what He has done. In Psalm 34, verse 6, it says, This poor man cried unto the Lord, cried, and the Lord heard him and <clears throat> saved him out of all his troubles. So if we have cried to the Lord, He will hear and answer our prayer and save us out of the troubles and problems that we face. 
It talks about Him being our strength and shield in verse 7. It says, He is our strength, that's our protector and our helper, our shield. The Lord is my strength. God was His strength. My shield. Two things. My sword and shield. If we trust in God, He's going to be our protector and our helper. In uh, Hebrews 13, verse 6, it says, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. The Lord is my helper. It says, He will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And if you'll notice, it says here in verse 7, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in Him. I had faith in Him. And I am helped. And I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth. Notice that word, greatly. You cannot overdo rejoicing because of what God has done. Sometimes I'm so amazed at how God has blessed. God hath greatly blessed us, so therefore my heart greatly rejoiceth. And with my song will I praise Him. It says that we should have songs in our heart. If you read Ephesians, I believe it's chapter 5, I believe it's verse 18, it says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And I believe it's verse 19 that says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And then it goes on, giving thanks always in the name of God and our Father, and the, unto God and our Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it tells us, uh, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Remember, we've taught you that, how it's a continuation of the, the whole statement of being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit involves joyfulness and thankfulness and submission. We've taught that time and time again. Because that's the end of the paragraph there, or end of the sentence, I should say, not the paragraph. If you look in, I believe it's Ephesians 5, beginning with verse 18, you'll find that that's true on down. All right, uh, let's notice something else. He says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. Verse 7, my heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth and with my song will I praise him. Now then, I want you to notice something else about David's words here in verse 8. He says, the Lord is their strength, and he is the saving strength of his anointed. Now, David was the anointed in the Old Testament, but he's referring to to Christ. But he says, the Lord is their strength. He turns the picture and the praise and the blessings from himself to God's people. Notice he's talking about himself. The Lord is my strength in verse 7. And now in verse 8, he says, the Lord is their strength. He's the strength of every member of the church and for the church as a whole. And He is the saving strength of His anointed. And I want you to notice the last verse of this 28th Psalm. It says, Save thy people and bless, bless thine inheritance. Feed them also and lift them up forever. By the way, I think I preached a sermon on those four things. Save thy people, bless thine inheritance, feed them also, and lift them up forever. That's a pretty good text, isn't it? David's prayer was not a selfish prayer. He included all of God's people. He says, save thy people. Sometimes we say, Lord, help me. But David says, help them too. You see, we need to keep each other in our prayers. I appreciate those. Brother Randy said, time for the funeral today. He stopped and he said, told Vicky, he says, time to pray for Brother Joyce. Got the funeral. I asked my wife when I leave home, I said, now remember, two o'clock, pray for me. I have a funeral. And when I get up to, to speak, I want it to be what God would have me to say. 
And you know, funerals, whether anyone realizes it or not, are very touchy situations. And you have to learn to say the right things and learn not to say the wrong things. It's about as hard to, uh, to keep yourself from saying the wrong thing as it is to ask God to help you to say the right thing. Sometimes what we do not say is about as important as what we do say. And so remember that we need God's help. And without God's help, you, you, you do, do a lot of things wrong. But the Lord was in it all the way through. I could just feel His presence and, and it went just like it was supposed to go. David's prayer was not selfish. And so he says, Save thy people and bless thine inheritance. Feed them also and lift them up forever. David was, is a type of Christ who prays and He is the ever-living intercessor for all of us. Hebrews 7 verse 25 says, He ever liveth to make intercession for us. And therefore, He's able to save them to the uttermost. Jesus is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. Someone talks about being saved and lost. You know what it takes for you to be lost? To do away with Jesus on the right hand of God. And you can't do that. Because He ever liveth to what? To make intercession for all that come unto God by Him. And we've come to God and we've turned it over to Him and He's the one that's uh, our intercessor on the right hand of God. He's the go-between. He does it all for us. We don't do it. He does it. The Lord is the Savior. And He's the intercessor. And He's our great high priest. And John says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And our advocate, that's equivalent to a, an attorney or a lawyer, one to plead our case and our cause. And by the way, he's a professional at it. He doesn't need, he's not like some of these that are making their boo-boos today. Boy, they're making a handful of them too, from what I've heard. I don't know how many of you have watched some of that, but it's surely getting out of hand. But anyway, let's notice the last verse of this psalm. And by the way, I have something of Spurgeon I wanted to read to you concerning this. It just touched me so, and I think I've used it before possibly, but I want to give this to you. Save thy people. Deliver them from their enemies. Preserve them from their sins. Rescue them from their temptations. Bless thine inheritance. Grant positive blessings, peace, plenty, prosperity, and happiness. Feed them also. Be a shepherd to thy flock. Feeding is more than just feeding the food. It's leading and ruling and guiding as well. And by the way, some of that is not in the quote. Let their bodily and spiritual wants to be plentifully supplied. By thy word and ordinances, direct, rule, sustain, and satisfy thy sheep. Carry them in thine arms on earth. Then lift them up into thy bosom in heaven. Elevate their minds and thoughts. Spiritualize their affections. Make them heavenly, Christ-like, and full of God. O Lord, answer this our petition for Jesus' sake. I think it's a pretty good summation of that last verse. I want to get into the 29th Psalm. We have just enough time for it. And this is the God of the storm. Psalm 29. Notice it says, Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Look at the second verse. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of, his, of, in the beauty of holiness. Honor is due to the Lord. Given to the Lord, O ye mighty. It's due unto the Lord from all kings, from all mighty that are upon this earth. He is the one that's deserving all honor. 
if you read in Psalm 2, it says, verse 1, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against His anointed. There are many rulers and leaders, instead of giving to the Lord the honor that is due His name, it says they take counsel, and by the way, this is prophetic of the time of Christ as well and of Jesus, they take counsel against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder. They didn't want anything God to do anything with them. They resisted God. And cast away their cords from us. Their cords, bands of restraint. And the cords from God. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall He speak unto them in His wrath and vex them in His sore displeasure. He says, Yet, regardless of what they've done in dishonoring, Yet I have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. This is what God the Father is going to claim for his son, and said he would claim for him. Thou, thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces. Uh, like a potter's vessel. It tells us over in the book of Revelation that he shall tread the fierceness of the winepress of the wrath of Almighty God. Christ is coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. It says, Be, be wise now, therefore, uh, O ye kings, be instructed, and ye judges, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son. Kiss of reconciliation, acceptance, and, and humility. Lest he be angry and ye perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are they all they that put their trust in him. My, what a psalm that second one is. If you come back to 29 now, what does it say? Given to the Lord, O ye mighty, given to the Lord glory and his strength. Given to the Lord the glory due unto his name. A man never becomes so great that he should ignore the Lord. We have men that are so big and powerful and mighty, you know, and they're something else, they think. Have you ever heard people say, he's something else? Well, he is if he doesn't honor God. Something else or what he ought to be. God is the one that's due the honor and glory. And a man never becomes so great that he should ignore God. Count the number of times the voice of the Lord is mentioned in this chapter as we proceed. But I want to give you one more thing concerning giving honor to God. In Isaiah 40, verse 15 through 17, now we'll not read it all, but it says, All nations before Him are as nothing, counted to Him as less than nothing. Compared to God, counted to God, they're less than nothing. All nations before Him are as nothing. If we look at nations around this world, God says there's nothing. The Word of God says they're as nothing. And God is all-powerful and almighty. Now I want you to notice seven things about the voice of the Lord, beginning with verse 3. And by the way, you have seven times. Count the number of times, and there's seven, the voice. It says, The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The many waters represent the universal uh, aspect of the voice of the Lord. The Lord's voice is universal. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. When we think of it in a practical sense, let's think of it. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. You know, He thunders uh, in the heavens and the rains come and the lightning flashes. And some of you have been on the ocean when it was wild, when it was out of 
seemingly out of man's, well, it's always out of man's control, but man could not control himself upon those waters or any vessel that he had upon the waters. I was in a typhoon off the coast of Japan in the Pacific, South Pacific, in, uh, in World War II, and there were destroyers that were capsized. They just turned over they, and the crew drowned. <coughs> there was two or three of them <coughs> that it actually happened to. In fact, before that time, there was one of our friends that we went to school with that died in the, in the same kind of a, a, a tragedy when a ship capsized and he drowned. And I could call his brother still lives here in Riddosa. I can tell you the whole history of the family, which I'll not have time to go into. But on the many waters, when you see those waves roaring and the, and the noise of the waters it is in a storm, you can recognize that this is far beyond man. This God's voice that's speaking. And if you if you haven't learned to be afraid, you can you can get a hold of it pretty quick. You remember when the storm was on the sea and old these uh, real experienced shipmen and seamen sailors, as far as Jonah was concerned, they said, "Why is this great storm coming to us?" And Jonah said, "I'm the cause of it." And they, he said. Throw me overboard and the sea will be still. And they tossed him overboard, didn't they? And a great big fish swallowed him up. And then he became worse off than that. He said, Out of the belly of hell cried I. The Lord heard my voice out of the fish's belly. And he said uh, a lot of things there. But finally he said, They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. And then finally he said, Salvation is of the Lord. And about that time that fish got rid of him. That's one statement that the devil can't handle. His salvation is of the Lord. He's going to leave you right away then. So anyway, the voice of God, it's universal. The Lord's voice is universal upon many waters. If you study in the book of Revelation, you find the many waters represent nations and and many people. people. So we call it universal. Next thing I want you to notice in verse 4, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. But let's notice this, the first one in verse 4. The voice of the Lord is powerful. So let's make this statement. The Lord's voice is irresistible. It's irresistible. Uh, we find that uh, His voice cannot be resisted. The Bible says the Word of God is quick and powerful. The voice, the Word of God, cannot be resisted. The Word of God is quick and powerful. That's Hebrews 4.12. And sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit of the joints and marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's pretty powerful to discern the very thoughts and intents of the heart. And God's Word is able to divide asunder in in such a minute way. And then it says in verse 13, Neither is there any creature, listen carefully, that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God sees everything. Don't ever think you're going to hide anything from him because he sees it all. Now let's go on. In verse uh, 5, well, verse 4 has another statement. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. When we think of how it be, is full of majesty. And then we find in verse 5 that it's, uh, men are humbled at God's voice. And God alone will be exalted in that day in the book of Isaiah chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Let me read that in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Notice what it says here. 
It says, For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon every one that is proud and lofty, and upon every one that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. And upon all the cedars of Lebanon. Now back in our text, what does it say? The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. That's what Isaiah says. Upon all the cedars of Lebanon. Now why does he use the cedars of Lebanon? They're mighty and the majestic uh, trees. And even they cannot escape the voice of the Lord. When the lightning flashes and and it strikes a, a great tree, it doesn't make any difference how big it is, it can split it in two and set it on fire. We'll see the fire in a little bit. The voice of the Lord is like the fire. We're going to see that as we read on. But look at this. And by the way, this ties in with the other things. That if you have Isaiah chapter 2, verse 14, it says, And upon all the high mountains, and upon all the hills, and that includes what we're studying in the psalm, and upon every high tower, upon every fence wall, upon all the ships of Tarshish, and upon all the pleasant pictures. And the loftiness of man shall be bowed down. <coughs> and the haughtiness of men, look at that, the haughtiness of men shall be made low. And the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. And the idols he shall utterly abolish. You'll find that this is somewhat uh, in harmony with the uh, the 29th Psalm as we continue to study it. So think of this 29th Psalm when you get down to verse 5 again. Hold your place where we're studying. Psalm 29, verse 5, it says, The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars, yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. When we find that <clears throat> the lightning strikes, it can break the trees, can it? Not And all the large trees, and all those that are, these were the most majestic trees, the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to skip like a calf, Lebanon and Siron like a young unicorn. Even the mountains, even the mountains, against the mountains. And we read that in Isaiah chapter 2. <clears throat> now then, verse uh, 7. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. Isn't that what the voice of the Lord does in the lightning that flashes? These are flames of fire, electricity divided and sent wherever he directs it to go. And then the thunder rolls. The Bible says the Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. And the clouds are the dust of his feet. In Nahum 1 verse 3. And by the way, that's a little later on we'll refer to that again. And then we find in verse 6. If you'll look at verse 6. In verse 6 I want to say that the voice of the Lord produces joy. Because if you notice verse 6. He maketh them also to skip like a calf. We talk about joy. Verse 7, the voice of the Lord divideth the flames. And we find it fiery and brings conviction upon men. And we find it symbolical of the word of God that uh, came upon the church. And the Holy Spirit of God came upon the church on the day of Pentecost. Remember the, the tongues of fire that sat upon each of them. The spirit of the wind filled all the house where they were sitting. So they were actually baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were immersed in the Holy Spirit because it says it filled all the house where they were sitting. It was over them and around them, just like one that's submerged or uh, immersed into the water. And that was the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And we find also, if you look on down in verse 8, the voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. Now then, it not only produces conviction, but it produces alarm and fear. 
alarm and fear, shaketh the wilderness, and shaketh the wilderness of Kedash. If you read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25 through 29, it says, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Now look, whose voice then shook the earth. Whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. This same voice that shook the earth in time past is going to shake not the earth only, but also heaven. Uh, that cannot be moved. And because of that, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. If we realize that God's kingdom cannot be shaken and we're a part of that kingdom, that's security again. By the way, you know, I don't see how people preach the Bible without preaching security. I just don't see what you can say about it if you don't say so. If you're going to say anything. So anyway, let's get on with this. It says, let us have grace that, uh, whereby we can serve God in reverence and godly fear. Certainly, if we have such a kingdom of that cannot be moved and, and some things that cannot be shaken and the church cannot be shaken and His Word cannot be shaken and the, the child of God cannot be shaken so as to fall and to be destroyed and we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken, certainly that would cause us to serve God with grace and with reverence and godly fear, wouldn't it? If that won't do it, nothing else will. And then we get back to our psalm and we'll hurry along. It not only produces alarm and fear, but it produces life. Look at verse 9. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calve, and discovereth the forest, and in his temple doth every one speak of his glory. It produces life. The Bible says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. So it, it produces spiritual life now. And by the way, let me read in John chapter 5 where we have the promise of the resurrection in verses 28 and 29, it says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear His voice. All that are in the grave shall hear His voice. The dead shall hear His voice. And shall come forth, they that have done good unto, ever, unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. The dead are going to hear His voice. You know, we preach funerals, we go to the the funeral home, we view dead bodies, we go to the cemetery and people are buried, but the dead can hear His voice. Jesus said at one time, stood before the grave of Lazarus, He said, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible says, He that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot in grave clothes. Someone has said, it's a good thing He said Lazarus. Boy, there'd been a lot of them come forth, wouldn't it? He may just say one of these days, come forth, or like to John in Revelation 4. Verse 1, Come up hither. I heard a voice saying, Come up hither. And I will show you things that shall be hereafter. Alright, let's look at this last couple of verses. It says in verse uh, 10, The Lord sitteth upon the flood. Yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. He sitteth upon the flood. He's governor over the storm. We said He's universal. The Lord's voice is universal. The Lord's voice is irresistible. The Lord's voice is effective. The Lord, Lord's voice produces joy. The Lord's voice produces conviction. The Lord's voice produces alarm and fear. The Lord's voice produces life. Now then, the Lord is the governor over the storm. And we already quoted the scripture that we wanted to give you a little bit ago. 
In Nahum 1, verse 3, it says, The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the, and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. It's kind of putting it in a majestic way, isn't it? The clouds are the dust of his feet. You ever flown way above the clouds, 10,000, 12,000 feet in the air, and the clouds be way down there? In fact, when I flew up to Cleveland, it looked like they were so far down, I didn't know if he was ever going to get down to the top of the clouds at one time. We looked down there, beautiful. You get down, great big puffs everywhere, and you couldn't see the earth anywhere. You couldn't see the, the land. Just great big old huge, beautiful clouds with the sun shining down on them. That's the dust of his feet. God is mighty and powerful, isn't he? And then the last verse, it says, The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. The Lord will, will and can give peace to his people in the midst of the storm. Jesus said in John 14, 27, we'll close with this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And in Psalm 85, verse 6, and I don't know if I'll have time to read it, but in Psalm 85, verse 6, it says this. Let me read it quickly to you. It says, uh, no, it's verse 8. I beg your pardon. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for He will speak peace unto His people and to His saints. But let them not turn again to folly.